Hey, good morning. Welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday morning service. We gather in person and online every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Now, in person, we are at the church building on Hill Road. We are uh, gathering together for worship, for prayer, for community, and for Bible study. We have Kids Church available in our service as well. We have youth group that meets on Tuesday nights, and we have small groups that meet throughout the week at different homes and locations. And you can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com for more information. We're continuing our study in the Gospel of Matthew. And this morning, our big idea as we look at Matthew chapter 11 is that Jesus is reality. Jesus is reality. John chapter 11, verse 1, says that after Jesus had finished instructing his disciples, he went from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. So if you were with us last week, Jesus gathered his 12 closest followers together, and he said, I have a job for you, and he sends them out all through Israel. And they are sent to proclaim the coming of the kingdom of heaven. They are sent to proclaim the coming of the Messiah. He empowers them, and he gives them a mission and a very specific job. While they are gone, he is not just doing nothing. He's active, and he's working. And so he's going around from town to town, continuing his work. Then it says in verse 2 that John, who was in prison, that's John the Baptist, John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, and he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Now, that's kind of a weird question to ask when it says you've heard about the deeds of the Messiah, but he has this moment of doubt. He's in a dark dungeon. He is in the worst trial of his life. And he has a question, are you the one or should we expect someone else? Verse 4, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you have heard and seen. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd. And we'll get to that in a minute. But John comes with this question, are you the Messiah? And Jesus doesn't scold him. Jesus doesn't say, come on, John, you go back and tell John you should know better than to ask that question. Jesus answers John's question. It's okay to have times of doubt, seasons of uncertainty, honest questions, honest fears. Nowhere in the scripture do we see God say like, What are you doing when somebody comes and say, God, I don't understand. I have disbelief in my heart. Help my unbelief. I I want to seek you, but I I need to understand. I I need help. I I need strength from you. I need wisdom from you. I think sometimes in the experience of people in the church in general, they have this thing where it's like, I can't ask questions. I can't be honest and say, I don't know if I believe that. I can't be honest and say, I know that's what a Christian is supposed to say they believe, but I'm having trouble with it. There's no issue here with John asking the question. Jesus is just bringing his reality, which is true reality, into John's dungeon. John's reality, or his, excuse me, John's doubts were largely circumstantial or experiential. He was letting experience determine what he perceived to be reality. 
expectations. So remember that John had this ministry where he was out in the middle of nowhere on the Jordan River, kind of near the Dead Sea, east of Jerusalem. You can go on Google Maps and see where that's all at. But he's out there in the middle of nowhere and hundreds and thousands of people were coming to him to hear him preach. He was baptizing people in the Jordan River in a symbol of repentance of their sins to prepare themselves because he said, the kingdom of heaven is near, the Messiah is at hand. And then one day Jesus comes to where he is at and John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Messiah. And Jesus says, John, you need to baptize me. And John says, this is messed up. I'm not worthy to do this. I need you, Jesus, to baptize me. And Jesus says, nope, this needs to be the way it's done. And so John baptizes Jesus. Jesus comes out. The glory of God appears, descends on Jesus in the form of a dove. They, they hear the voice of God the Father saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. He has all of this happen. And maybe, I don't think it's unreasonable to guess, he's disappointed with what happened next. Right? He proclaims Jesus the Messiah. He sees this miraculous supernatural event at Jesus' baptism. And then what does Jesus do? The Bible says he went away into the deep wilderness for over a month, for 40 days. Wait, where'd you go, Jesus? I thought this was the time. You've shown up. You've, you've appeared. Now is the time for you to bring about your kingdom. I've been preparing the way, Jesus. I've done all of these things, and now you're gone? And then Jesus reappears, but he's not where John was. He's up in the Galilee, and he's doing ministry there. Jesus, why aren't you down here where I'm at? Or Jesus, why aren't you in Jerusalem where the power is at? Where are you? It's not unreasonable to speculate or guess that John's expectations had not been met in some way at some level. Maybe his doubts were based in circumstance. I mean, the guy is in a dungeon. He has been speaking truth to power. The reason he was in prison was because the king, Herod, had been sinning horribly and had been horribly corrupt and had been just a terrible guy, let alone a king. He's not a good king, but he's just a terrible person. And John spoke out about it, and he says, what the king did is not right. What the king did is wrong. How the king lives is terrible in the sight of God. He spoke out, and so the king had him arrested. And so John uh, is now in prison because he did the right thing. We, we cannot forget to pray. As we pray for peace in Ukraine, we cannot forget to pray for sisters and brothers in Christ, in Russia right now, who are in jail because they spoke out. We cannot forget to pray for them. There are pastors and Orthodox priests who have spoken out against the evils of that war who have been arrested. 
There are those who have stood firm and said, we will not support this, even as the so-called official church in Russia gives its approval to Putin. True believers have stood up and said, this is not right. And we cannot forget to pray for them. Here's John in prison for doing the right thing. His circumstances can lead to his doubt. Have you ever found that to be the case? That you doubt God because your expectations of what you think God should do were not met? Or because your circumstances changed in a way that was not good from your perspective? Maybe his doubt comes from his physical condition. He's in a prison. I'm imagining the food is not great. He's not getting exercise. Maybe he's chained. Maybe he hasn't seen the sun. Maybe there are beatings or other torments. I remember one time in my early 20s when I just had a time of despondency. I mean, that's really where I was at. I, was, I wasn't just bummed out. Like I, I felt despondent. I felt horribly down. And I, I basically had to stop and say, what is going on? Why am I like this? And I realized that the way I'd been living my life and the way I'd been organizing my schedule, I was not taking care of myself. I was sleep deprived. I was run down. And so I basically said, I need to take my next day off. I need to clear my schedule and I need to rest. I need to eat right. I need to do the things I have to do to get myself back on track health-wise. Boom. It's amazing what, a, what a starting to get some good sleep does. It's amazing what not drinking endless energy drinks, which you do in your 20s and it's not good. It's amazing how that changed my health. I went, uh, I went cold turkey off anything caffeinated. Zero caffeine, only water. Like I was just like, all right, no caffeine, good sleep. I'm going to get myself back to a place of health. It's amazing how my mood changed. It's very possible that John's doubts were springing from a place of physical deprivation that was leading to a place of doubt and despondency. I believe in taking care of our health, our physical health, our emotional health, our mental health. I believe that you can love Jesus and have a therapist. I believe that you can love Jesus and be in counseling. I believe that we can take care of our physical health and our mental health. And, and so if somebody says, you know what, I feel like I need to talk to a professional, but I don't know if that's a thing that somebody who has faith in God should do. No, please go talk to that professional. We want to make sure that, you know, if I, if I break my arm, I go to the hospital. If something isn't right inside in my emotional or my mental health, I need to go to a professional. Whatever the reason for John's doubts, Jesus responds with the reality of the situation. Jesus doesn't scold him. Jesus doesn't chastise him. He doesn't criticize him for having questions. He responds with the reality of what God is doing. Go back and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. He's saying, tell John, stay, stay the course. Stay firm. Live in the blessing of God where you are at. Jesus brings his reality to our experiences. If I let my expectations or my circumstance or my physical condition determine how I think or feel about anything and everything, instead of letting the word of God be the guiding 
determination for my life, I will be off track. When Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness by the devil, one of the things the devil tempted him with was food. He hadn't eaten in 40 days. He said, here, here's some food. All you have to do is do what I tell you. And he says, get away from me, Satan. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus brings his reality to John's experience. And he speaks to him and he says, here's some words of encouragement. Let me tell you the truth of what is happening. You know, we sing a song sometimes at church called Look What God Has Done. The first time that I played that song in a church was on an Easter Sunday several, several years ago at our previous church. And I was not feeling it. I, I, I remember thinking, is it right to play this song when I feel like it's speaking about God doing all these things and I don't see it in, in this church? And the Lord spoke to me and he said, first of all, you don't know what I'm doing here. And second of all, I am doing those things everywhere. I was letting a limited experience and my circumstances determine what I thought to be true or untrue. But the words of those songs are true, that God is working and God is moving. And so I, I remember leading that song and I said, Lord, I'm going to lead this song because I think I'm supposed to. Help me to have the faith to believe it. And then Jesus uses this as a teaching moment because as Jesus's, or John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. And he's going to bring reality into their history. Watch this. Jesus uh, began to speak to the crowd. He said, what did you go out to the wilderness to see? Because remember, John was not convenient. John ministered in the middle of nowhere. It wasn't like, hey, it's really convenient. It's just off 224. It's just off 225. It's right down the street from where you live. It's right next to where you work. No. It would basically be like if every Sunday morning we got in our cars and we drove to, um, you know, Madras, or we drove to uh, Baker City, or we drove somewhere, uh, you know, you look at those maps of Oregon, like southeastern Oregon, just the middle of nowhere. And that's where we have to go to have church, right? John was not convenient. He said, you guys, a lot of you went out there, that, that thousands of people had gone to see and hear John preach and to be baptized, and many of them were there in the crowd. And Jesus says, what did you go out there for? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? And when he says a reed swayed by the wind, he's basically saying, hey, did you go out for the scenery? Did you go out to see the trees and the plants? No. What were you there for? He says, a man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in the king's palace. He says, you didn't go out there to see somebody famous. You didn't see somebody to go out there with, with ample resources or the best clothes or whatever. What did you go out there for? He says, then what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. And then he quotes a prophecy from the prophet Malachi, which is the uh, last book of the, uh, the Old Testament. And uh, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, it says, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. And this is speaking about, there was a prophecy that there was going to be 
a messenger sent to prepare the Messiah. Actually, that was one of the hallmarks of the Messiah, was that there was to be somebody who would come and prepare the way for him. Jesus says in verse 11, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. For the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subject to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. What's going on there? Let's walk through this. So what Jesus is saying is, up until now, there is no one greater in human history than John the Baptist. Up until this point, uh, whoever uh, who has been born of women is just a way to say there is no human, because every human is born of a woman. Everyone has a mom. There is no human who has been born yet that is greater than John the Baptist. Really? Because think about this. Who was alive before Jesus? If you were to make a list of the greatest figures in human history, there would be plenty of candidates or people to make that top 10 list who had already been alive. Nebuchadnezzar had already been alive. The great pharaohs had already been alive. Cleopatra, Mark Anthony, already alive. Alexander the Great had already lived and died. If you're putting together a list who are the greatest people in human history, even today, I do not believe that any historian would put John the Baptist anywhere near the top hundred. But Jesus says, hey, of all the people who have been born to this point, John the Baptist is the greatest to have ever lived. Jesus is giving God's view of human history. I believe that if you were to ask Jesus right now, who is the greatest person who's ever lived excluding Jesus, who is it? We would be surprised. Now, he might say it's still John the Baptist. He might, but I don't think so given something we'll study here in a minute. But it's highly possible that he would say the name of a woman we've never heard of. He would say the name of a young child who no one knows. He would say the name of a grandfather who has been forgotten. He would say the name of somebody that would surprise us because how God sees human history and the reality of human history is different than how we see human history. Jesus explains that all of these great people, so-called, conquerors and kings, philosophers and inventors, pale compared to the work of God and the submission to God that John the Baptist had. Jesus explains that John the Baptist was the messenger prophesied by Malachi and other prophets who would come before the Messiah. In fact, Jesus says, if you can accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. In other Gospels, the disciples asked Jesus this question. Hey, the Scripture says that Elijah is supposed to come first, and then the Messiah. Elijah was this prophet in the Old Testament, He was one of two people that the Old Testament says did not die, the other being a man named Enoch. For every other person, it says they they lived and then they died. But for Enoch, it says that he walked with God and then was no more. And it's very specifically different. Uh, And we don't have time to get into this, but when we studied Genesis several years ago, we looked at how the wording for that is specifically different. Then there's Elijah. Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament, 
and he was walking along and, and God was telling him, hey, you're, you're going to be taken away. And God, you're going to be taken away. You're going to be taken away. And so he kept walking. And then it says this weird thing happened. A chariot of fire came down and carried him to heaven. Only person this is recorded about. And so there is this belief in studying Bible prophecy that Elijah will return before the Messiah. So what Jesus says here and in other places in the gospel where he's addressing this issue is he says that John the Baptist came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. One of the terms that Bible scholars and people that study these things use is they call typology. That John is a type of Elijah. That he is a metaphor or, or picture of Elijah. He comes in the same spirit, the same power that Elijah had. And he is acting in that role. We've talked recently about partial and full or first and second fulfillments in Bible prophecy. There are all these Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. And we see that Jesus came and he fulfilled the suffering servant prophecies in his first coming. And the Bible says in the book of the Revelation and other places that when Jesus comes again, he will fulfill all of the conquering king parts of the messianic prophecies. First and second partial and full. Jesus comes with the kingdom of God, but it is not fully fulfilled until he comes again. In the book of Revelation, chapter 11, it talks about two witnesses appearing in Jerusalem in the very last days before Jesus comes, and they will proclaim Jesus is the Messiah for about three and a half years until they are put to death. And there are many who believe that at least one of them is literally Elijah, who didn't die, and he comes back. And then there's Bible scholars argue about whether the other guy is Enoch or it's Moses or it's somebody else, and I don't care. Remember, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. People love to debate and disagree, and there's like a world that's dying around us, and who cares? My point is this, that before Jesus came, there was one fulfilling God's prophecy, confirming Jesus as the Messiah as he prepared the way. And before Jesus comes again, this world will see witnesses proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah before he comes the second and final time. But Jesus is saying, hey, your whole view of human history, what you think is important, the things that you think matter, they're not that big a deal. But this guy over here is actually a huge deal. This, this woman over here that you don't know anything about but she's doing something that's far more important than you could ever imagine. The same is true in our own lives. The same is true in our own stories. And we may look back on the story of ourselves individually, the story of our family, the story of our church, or the story of the big church, and we might say, hey, this is, this is what matters, this is what was important, and then we only find out that God says, actually, what really mattered was this thing over here. And he brings reality and truth to our history. He brings reality to our experience. He brings reality to our history. And finally, he brings reality to our fantasy. Now, I really struggled with how to define this. Is there a better word than fantasy? Personal narrative might also work. Our own story might be applicable. People love to live in the fantasy of their own creation. Now, with some people, it's very obvious 
like that they're living in a fantasy world, right? And, and, and I don't just mean people who have like legitimate clinical issues, but I'm talking about people who in their world, they're always right, everyone else is always wrong. Uh, I'm talking about people who live in a, a fantasy world of, of sort of like uh, everything's good and nothing's good or everything's bad. And that's not really true either. There's actually really th- good things going on. I, I, I'm, not, I'm speaking about kind of this story that we tell ourselves. In the book of Acts, chapter 7, there was a guy named Stephen. Stephen was the first person who was uh, recorded to have died for proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. And Stephen was before the rulers of his people, and he was proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah, and he did the exact same thing that Jesus does. He brought reality to their fantasy. And it was partially by bringing reality to their history. Stephen said, recounted the history of God's people, and at the end he says, which one of the prophets did our forefathers not persecute? Which one of God's prophets did our forefathers not have put to death? And you can read through the history of the prophets of Israel. Jeremiah was imprisoned. Isaiah, tradition tells us, was, was killed. That, that prophets had, had trials. Elijah, who I just mentioned a minute ago, he had to hide for years out in the wilderness because the king was trying to kill him. This is just like a constant thing going on. You speak truth and the world who rejects the truth comes after you. And in doing so, when Stephen said, which one of the prophets did our fathers not persecute? Which one of the prophets did our fathers not kill? He is not only bringing reality to their history, but bringing reality to their personal narrative, their personal fantasy, to say, Oh, we are the people of God. We are the sons of Israel. We are the chosen people. We are the, the holy ones. And, and Stephen's going, have you lived that holy? It reminds me of talking to an older pastor once. And he says, you know, the greatest generation wasn't that great. And I said, what do you mean, greatest generation? I read a lot of World War II history. They did some cool things. He said, yeah, but I did their funerals. I did their funerals. I know their stories. I know that, you know what, yeah, they they won a war, but I also know how they treated their families because their families were not all glowing when when I was meeting with them and talking with them. I heard their stories. I dealt with them. Whoa, okay, that's a whole different thing. Jesus brings reality to our fantasy because he says in verse 16, to what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplace calling out to one another. We played a pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proven right by her deeds. Jesus says they didn't like John because of this. They don't like me for doing the exact opposite thing. It's basically like saying, we don't like John because he always wears a blue shirt. We think he's terrible because he wears a blue shirt. And then Jesus comes in wearing a blue t-shirt, and they go, that is horrible. How could you wear a blue t-shirt? Did I say that, John? All right, they don't like John because he... He wears a blue t-shirt. Jesus comes in not wearing a blue t-shirt. He wears any other color. And they say, it's horrible. How could you do that? How could you wear anything other than a blue shirt? You get the point I'm saying. It's as if, if John came in and said, the sky is blue. And they said, that's terrible. How could you say that? And Jesus comes in and says, it's cloudy today. And they say, how could you say that? We know the sky is blue. The idea is that 
it's inconsistent. Because they'll do whatever it takes to keep their own personal fantasy, their own personal narrative, their own personal story going. People tell the stories that make us look the best. Jesus tells the truth. How many times did Jesus say to his followers, I'm going to Jerusalem, they're going to arrest me, they're going to crucify me. How many times did he say that? And then his disciples would say, no way, it's not going to happen, never. Because they liked the Bible prophecies that talked about the Messiah being the conquering king. And they didn't want to talk about the Bible prophecies that talked about the suffering servant who was pierced and, and broken, who, who by his stripes we are healed. He was pierced for our transgressions. You know, all of these things. You can go and read Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 58 and you go, whoa, okay, that's not the conquering king. But they didn't want to see that. They wanted what fit their personal narrative, their personal fantasy of how the world is or should be. And Jesus tells the true story. So he says to them, first Jesus gives the word of encouragement to John, sends that back. Then he teaches the people, hey, what did you guys go out to the desert to see? You saw John, who was the greatest person who has ever lived, and yet the least in the kingdom of heaven will be greater than him. Meaning that what is coming, the kingdom of Jesus, is better than anything this world has. But here's the thing. John proclaimed the coming of the kingdom. Jesus is the coming of the kingdom. And no matter what, you reject it. Because you want to keep to your personal story, your fantasy, your narrative. We played a pipe for you. We, did a you know, we played happy music, but you didn't dance. Okay, maybe you want us to play sad music. So we played sad music, and you were like, oh, this is a bummer. Now, what's this thing about John not eating and Jesus eating and drinking? John was an ascetic. He lived out in the wilderness. He lived a very simplistic, we might think of it as a monastic lifestyle. He ate a very limited diet. He didn't uh, go to feasts. He didn't, you know, he didn't go and, and uh, he, he never drank wine. That was part of living as a Nazarite. That was something that God called John to do. He never drank wine. He, he lived a simple lifestyle. He stayed out in the wilderness. We know that Jesus didn't just drink wine. He made wine. He went to weddings and feasts. He, he sat. John would go out away from everybody. Jesus went to people where people were. And Jesus says, hey, you're calling us out both ways. Now, is this saying that Jesus was a drunk? No. It's what his critics were saying about him. Oh, he's going and getting drunk. No, I don't think he was. Do I think Jesus drank wine? Yes. Do I think Jesus lived in sobriety? Also, yes. The point I'm, that Jesus is trying to make is that what, what are you going to say about him? Are you going to continue to say, I like it hot and John wants it cold. And so Jesus comes in and turns the heater up. And you say, oh, it's too hot now. It's never going to be good enough because you're always going to come up with an excuse for not following Jesus. There's always going to be some reason that you say, I won't submit my life to God. The Word of God is powerful. The Word of God is life-changing. But it only works if we submit ourselves to God. If we say, Jesus, whatever you want is what we will embrace. 
Otherwise, we're no different than these people. Oh, I'll come up with my excuse. I'll come up with the thing that keeps my fantasy going so that I never have to deal with the truth and I never have to change. I want the whole counsel of God's word. I want everything that God is. I don't want to be the person that says, those people over there, they don't know. And, and so I'm just going to stay mad at them. And Jesus comes in and says, I'll deal with them, but let's talk about you. And say, no, 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 I want to deal with those people. Jesus says, I'm going to deal with them. I want to talk about you. No, I want to stay angry at that person. Jesus says, I get what you're saying, and what happened there was terrible, but what about you? No, I'm going to just stay here in my hurt and not let you heal me. No, I'm just going to stay here in my pride and not surrender to you. No, I'm just going to stay here in my fantasy, dominated by my experience, living in a false history. Jesus says, come, let me set you free. Let him set you free today. If that's you, wherever you are at, God hears your prayer. God hears the prayer that says, Jesus, bring reality to my life. God hears the prayer that says, Jesus, I, have, I want to have faith. Help my unbelief. God hears the prayer that says, Jesus, I surrender to you. And he does. He comes in and he does his work. No one is too far gone. Not even us. God bless you. You can reach out if you have any questions, if you need prayer. My email is adam at faithonhill.com. We'd love to connect with you. If you're an online-only member of our church, that's totally fine. We have an online small group that meets every Wednesday night. You can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com for more information. Wherever we are at, whatever our situation, whatever our experience, Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the real thing. Let's embrace the reality of Jesus and walk away from the fantasy of this dead and dying world. God bless you.